TGIM Team RE. This is episode 291. When I get a craving, I change my environment right away. Visually, uh, physically, I get out of where I'm at and try to get into a new headspace. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Odette Kressler. Thank you so much for joining us. On today's podcast, we've got Kevin. Kevin took his last drink on April 11th, 2020. He is from Philadelphia and he is 59 years old. I've gotten to know Kevin better since we recorded this interview. And I just want to let you all know that this man is a rock star. He continues to impress me by working so hard and maintaining his sobriety. And I'm really grateful that he reached out and found a connection here with us at RE. So thanks again, Kevin. And before we get to Kevin's story, I want to let you all know that K-Mac and I, K-Mac is another RE member. She works with us and she does amazing things for our team. Her and I have been working on giving a new look to our Instagram page. We partnered up with a design company, shout out to 970 Design in Colorado, and let's just say that our Instagram game is strong right now. <laughs> we are working on making the page all about you, our community, so if you don't follow us just yet, check out Recovery Elevator at Recovery Elevator on Instagram, and if you ever want to get featured on a member or listener shout out tile, let us know. We love celebrating milestones with you all. Alrighty. Let's work on finding your better you. I want to share a story with you guys today. A couple of weeks ago, I received a negative review or negative feedback about the podcast. I was told that a particular episode that aired wasn't helpful and that it was very disappointing. I don't know if you all know this, but outside of spending my time with my kids and working on RE-related projects, I have a full-time job that is very corporate. The question that I ask most when I'm exposed to any type of leadership training at this in this corporate world is, how do we get better at this feedback thing? We need more feedback. So I usually ask leaders, like, tell me everything you know about providing and receiving feedback. Is it me or is there not enough feedback out there? Like, generally speaking, feedback matters, but we're so scared of it. Receiving feedback matters to our growth. So my guess is most of us still want it, but secretly dread the moment when we're about to get it. Being open to receiving feedback is just as important as delivering feedback appropriately. Anyways, what I'm trying to say in this parentheses of my story is that I'm used to receiving feedback. A lot of what I've learned at my job in the last couple of years is how to use feedback for improvement. I've also learned to not take feedback so personally. Most of the time, feedback is about something we did. It's not about something we are. It's not about us. There's always room for improvement, but our worth should never be defined by how good of a job we do, not just at work, but also at life. When I received the news that a listener thought that the podcast was disappointing, I quickly asked for feedback. I've gotten used to asking, can you let me know how I can do better? So that's exactly what I did. I posed the question and after a back and forth of a response that just wasn't getting us anywhere, I got a final message that simply said, do better, do better, do better. That was hard, guys. As I processed this answer, the words do better, do better, 
do better, I realize that although this statement is short, it holds a heavy and powerful message. It's a message that we get from other people, a message that we get from the media, a message that we get from Instagram, and even a message that we get from ourselves all the time. Do better. You're not doing enough. You're not meeting my expectations. You failed. You need to improve. You should have said this. You should have warned this. You should have considered this. You should need to think about this. You need to think about that. Do better. Do better. Do better. The interaction with this person left me feeling a little wobbly for a minute. It stung and I felt shame creeping in for a minute, but then it clicked. This was a test, a lesson, a very strange way of me realizing that this was the universe reminding me that I am worthy, that this listener is worthy, and that we're all worthy, and that I can act kindly, not just towards myself, but also towards other people. As Martin Luther King Jr. said, Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. All I have for this listener is gratitude. Gratitude and love. For letting me see things differently. For reminding me that I'm doing the best that I can. And that sometimes means that someone out there is not going to understand me or like my message for a day. All I can do is keep showing up for myself and continue to share messages of recovery with you all. And in all seriousness, if you ever have feedback or would like me to cover a certain topic, please connect with me via email. My email is odette, O-D-E-T-T-E, at recoveryelevator.com. I love getting listener emails, and I'd be more than happy to talk about feedback that you have from the show. So thank you. All right. Eso es todo. That's my weekly dose of rambles on RE for this episode. And before we hear from Kevin, let's hear from my favorite resource on this journey, Cafe RE. When departing from alcohol, here are the two main keys to success. You need a supportive and loving community. And you have to create accountability with others who have the same goal in mind. Whether you want to ditch the booze for a month, a year, or are simply sober curious, you'll get both of these on Cafe RE. These groups are unsearchable on Facebook. What is said can only be seen by members. You get 24-7 access to a group full of others whose priority it is to live an alcohol-free life. These groups are capped at under 400 members to ensure quality connection. In Cafe RE, you'll find that quitting drinking can be fun. For $19, you get access to the community, get paired with an accountability partner, attend educational online webinars, attend in-person meetups, participate in book club, movie club, and more. You'll also get discounts to retreats and sober travel trips. 15% of monthly fees goes towards our service project where we work with a nonprofit helping those who have been affected by addiction. Another portion goes to in-person meetups. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. Again, use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. I can't wait to see you there. Kevin, welcome. How are you? I'm good, Odette. How you doing? I'm good. Thank you so much. It's Friday on our day of recording, so I'm I'm happy it's Friday. I'm a little bit tired this week. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> let's get right let's get right to it, Kevin. When was the last time you had a drink? Um April eleventh, two thousand uh twenty twenty. All right. And can you give us a little background? Can you let us know where you're from? Do you have a family? What are your hobbies? What do you do for a living? And what do you like to do for fun? Okay, 
originally from Philadelphia. I moved down to Florida 20 years ago. I'm a printer. I work for the school board here, and I'm married, and that's about it. I forgot some of the other questions. Sorry. Well, do you have, no, totally fine to be nervous. I'm still learning to be the host, and I still get nervous. So listeners, okay. you may not always tell, but... <laughs> I, I still, <laughs> I, I share the feeling, Kevin. So we got this. Tell me about your hobbies. Do you have any hobbies, anything you like to do for fun? Yeah, uh, I like to cook. I do portraits and charcoal. I like to travel. And <laughs> what was your favorite recent recipe that you cooked? A little while ago, I made a chocolate souffle and that came out really good. Yum. Yeah. I really like cooking too and I feel I was listening to someone say that when they're in the kitchen everybody else that shares a home with them knows like don't like that's their time and I feel like it's the similar for me I feel like I get in the zone and it's a little bit therapeutic and then obviously there's a delicious meal coming out of it so I like that we share that exactly that's how I relax you know that's awesome. Can you give listeners some background on your history with drinking? When did you start drinking, Kevin? And when did you realize that you just didn't want to be drinking anymore and that alcohol wasn't serving your goals? Okay. Um, when I was seven, we would go to uh, my grandparents' house and they would all play cards at night and they needed somebody to make the drink. So I asked them, I pestered them if I could do it and they taught me how. So, um, I come from a Irish background, so you know, drinking was in the culture, and I learned how to make the drinks really well. So that was my job, and it was okay if I could, you know, drink a drink myself. And I like like whiskey and ginger ale, so I would drink that. Uh, if my grandfather ever wanted a beer, he, he would give you a sip if you bought it to him, you know. And then when I went to elementary school, I got bullied. So um, about fourth grade, I started running home to uh, eat lunch. And um, we had, uh, we used our um, washing machine as a liquor cabinet. So I would do a couple shots and then go back to school. And so I could deal with that, you know. And then after elementary school, I got into high school and I found a friend and he invited me to join his corner. And I started hanging out there and my drinking took off and we wound up dealing drugs too. So I wound up doing speed so I could stay up and drink more. And then um, after I graduated, um, I got married at 20. That didn't last long because we were both very immature. And then um, continued drinking and drugging. And then when I met my wife, I was 33 and I got off of drugs then. And um, but my my drinking um, really always always climbed, you know. Then we moved down to Florida, and I still kept escalating in the drinking. And I would I would try to moderate, but it never worked. I would have periods where I would do okay, but then you know it would just it would I would just go crazy, and then uh, you know it affected our relationship till finally I had a really bad moment in 2017 where I spent three days in the psych ward. And then when I got out, they sent me to AA and a counselor. And that worked for a while, but I was never fully invested. And I wound up staying straight for a year and a half, but then I relapsed. 
And um, finally, this April 11th, I went back to AA and I'm, I'm into it now. I'm ready to be sober. Thank you so much for reaching out to us. Uh, I know we got an email from you thanking us for the work we do on the podcast. And when I read the little paragraph with some of your story, I immediately wanted you to come on and share with listeners. I want to know how this time is different, but I'm going to backtrack first to the beginning of your story. And you were so young when you started drinking, Kevin. Did I just have a couple questions, and if you're comfortable answering, did anybody notice that this was happening when you were so young, or were you just so high-functioning that you were able to get away with it and sneak, or how was just growing up and like in these formative years and you already being attached to drugs and alcohol? Yeah, my parents worked till late at night, and so we were latchkey kids, and I was pretty good at hiding it. They always had um, people over, so they never noticed that the alcohol was diminishing. So like coming home for lunch and drinking a couple shots, and when I would come home, I would do a couple more and then go out. In high school, I was always out. Um, I was never home. So it really, I, I really wasn't noticed, you know, and I knew in high school that um, I had a a bad alcohol problem. I knew that I that I was an alcoholic then, and I was probably middle stage in high school. So I knew very early on that I had a really bad problem on my hands. I just never addressed it, really. I always thought that, you know, I could take care of it, that maybe I could um, get some moderation or maybe my dream was to actually um, quit. Like I always thought to myself, oh, next year I won't be drinking at this time. But it never worked out. Yeah, we find ourselves making promises. And then next thing we know, a month, a couple months, a year has passed. So time does fly by that way. And I want to ask about that awareness that you had. You said you knew you had a problem. You said at some point I knew I had to address it. Did you ever talk to somebody about it or was it also continue to be normalized in your family? You mentioned your grandfather and like sharing of the beer. Were you also surrounded by people who drank a lot? Oh, yeah. Um, my grandfather owned a bar. So alcohol was um, the environment, you know, and uh, we always had people over. Drinking was part of weddings, funerals, any event. And I always had a second job as a bartender, so I surrounded myself with that environment. It was just part of life, actually, you know, I, 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 it was like breathing to me. Yeah, and then you did mention that you were married for the first time when you were in your 20s and then later got married in your 30s. How did the dynamic between you and alcohol and then sharing a home with someone being married, how did that start to kind of blend in and cause conflict? Tell me a little bit more about that. Well, my first marriage, we were very immature and we were both drinking and doing drugs. So that I, that didn't last even a year that I knew that that would end. But um, when my second marriage, my wife is, you know, she's beautiful and accomplished and I always wanted to be like her. I thought that I could get it together, you know. Uh, I wanted to her, for her to be proud of me, and 
it just um, it just never worked out. And I wound up, you know, creating this wake of devastation through the marriage. Um, you know, it was always I was always disappointing her. It was hurt feelings, you know, and then I, I would I would beat up on myself because I couldn't, you know, get to the point where I wanted to be. You know, I knew that, you know, I something was wrong. I knew that I that I had this drinking problem, but I always thought that I could handle it. Like I, I could conquer it at some point. And it never happened until I finally, you know, woke up and realized that, you know, I had to go get help. What happened that made you realize, like, I can't get away with this anymore and I have to get help? There was a lot of events that happened. Uh, one time I was so drunk, I fell down, I needed stitches in my head. We would argue and I would just take off in my car and I would be, you know, I'd stay in my car for days and then I would come back. I got in a couple car accidents that didn't help. As a matter of fact, that last one was devastating, was really bad. And um, that's what got me back into AA. So when you said you had a year and a half, you said you had a year and a half and then you went back out to do some field research, as we like calling it. Is mm-hmm. it because you thought that after a year and a half, you you were like, I'm good if I've gone this far? Or walk me through that process about going back to drinking and then what happened? I I thought I had it under control. And I, then I thought, well, you know, when we're at a gathering or a party, I can have one or two beers like everybody else and just sip on it and talk and just carry on like that. But it doesn't work that way with me. I don't have an off switch. So once I start drinking, it's very fast and a lot of volume. And before you know it, I drink to blackout. So there's um, a period where, you know, I reach that limit and then who knows what's going on after that. I mean, I'm just, I continue drinking and then people tell me what I've done. You know, um, I had a like a bar- embarrassing incident when I came down here to Florida where I went Christmas shopping and the person behind the counter actually knew me from Philadelphia and I didn't recognize them. I, it was like I never saw them before in my life and they were, you know, pretty upset because um, I, they said that I spent the weekend with them and, um, you know, I have no memory of that at all. So my blackouts followed me all the way down here. Yes. And then so tell me about April 10th and April 11th. What what happened? Were you recommitted to the decision? And you do mention in that email thread that we shared that this time it felt different. And you even mentioned it on here earlier a couple of minutes ago about how it's feeling different. Talk to me more about that, Kevin. When I went back into AA, I I was fully invested this time. You know, I wanted to get sober. I knew that I had to do it. I really don't think that I have a second chance in me. So I wanted to actually, you know, live a sober life. I didn't want to wake up every day wondering where I was going to get alcohol, how I was going to do it, how I was going to hide it. Because I, you know, it was ridiculous. You know, I was hiding it all over the place. And I would run out and I would slam down um, alcohol and then come home. So I didn't want to feel that way anymore. I didn't want to feel sick anymore. So now 
I, I feel great. I get up, I have my routine, I eat very healthy, I exercise, um, getting back into my interests and things are really going great. I, I go to a meeting every day during work. Uh, I listen to the recovery elevator all day and other podcasts as well because I work around machinery. So I just plug in and for the next eight hours, I'm, I'm listening to uh, recovery all day. I'm swimming in it, you know? Yes, that's great. You are rewriting and restructuring your brain and rewriting stories and all of that is very helpful. The fact that you're just in this constant repetition of the new coding that you want to have. So that's, that's, I'm happy that you get that time at work too, to just kind of be working with machinery and still soaking yourself in information that's going to be helpful. Tell me what you do when you get a craving, Kevin. When I get a craving, I change my environment right away. Visually, uh, physically, I get out of where I'm at and try to get into a new headspace. If I, you know, take a walk outside or if I'm outside, I go somewhere else. It distracts me and I try to do anything to just get away from that, from that mindset because it's in my head, you know, and, um, in about a half an hour, I'm good. You know, I don't have it anymore. I really don't have, um, cravings for alcohol anymore. It's just like this thing gets in my head, this idea every once in a while. And I just get away from that. And then I'm fine. Yeah, listeners, that is that is pure gold right there is just changing your environment. And it's linked to, I think, this idea too of just moving our body and changing our energies, whether you can go out and get on a brisk walk, but just that putting yourself in a different motion creates a different emotion. And like you said, we think that these cravings and these feelings of unrest are going to stay forever, but they actually do fade away. And I'm glad you've kind of caught that and you can give yourself that conversation like, oh, this is going to pass. Do you find yourself kind of talking to yourself as you're having cravings or you said not more cravings for alcohol, but just these moments of unrest? Yeah, I I try to change my mindset. One thing that I do every day is I have an app that gives me the word of the day and I try to apply that word to my sobriety in some way. And if I can, I use it during the day. And that makes me think of sobriety in a different way every day. What is this app called? Do you know? Um, it's a Merriam-Webster app. It just gives me the word of the day and the um, definition. And then I try to apply it to sobriety. Yes. And then, I, of course, depending on what you're going through, then the word were, will carry a different meaning. I actually really like that. Tell me about your family dynamics, Kevin. I know you mentioned you're surrounded by a drinking culture. I don't know about when you moved. Did that continue or do you live close to many family, family members? How has the dynamic been uh, with people that you normally surround yourself with now that you uh, don't drink? Well, my in-laws all live down here in Florida and they don't have alcohol problems. My my side of the family, I haven't seen them in many, many years. I had a sister that lived down here with me a little bit south from where I live in Lauderdale, but she had a severe alcohol problem and a heroin addiction and she wound up passing away in 2006. So I don't really have contact with my side. I really don't know what's going on with them right now. 
I'm sorry about that, Kevin. Yeah. How has it been in your marriage? I know you said that your drinking and your behaviors were causing a lot of friction and a lot of issues. So as you've had your ups and downs and now you're back and recommitted to AA and your journey, how's the journey in your marriage been through all of this? For 24 years, I've, I was like a tornado creating, you know, uh, a path of devastation through my marriage. I put my wife through hell. And right now, we're trying to figure things out. I just want her to be happy. And whatever decision she makes, whatever makes her happy, that's what I want. I want her to have a good life. You know, I'm, I, I heard this thing one time where people take care of someone who's an addict. And once they get help and they see that they're okay, it's kind of like a, a big relief to them. And then they can say, well, okay, now that you're okay, I can go do my own thing. Or I don't know. We haven't really sat down and had a long discussion about this. She's still trying to figure it out. So it's kind of, um, that's where we're at. It's kind of up in the air right now. Marriage is very complicated. I'm speaking for yeah. myself as well. <laughs> <laughs> Marriage is complicated, but, uh, I, I just I love hearing that in you because she can probably f sense and feel that that you just want the best outcome for her and for yourself and, and that from you working on yourself that'll that'll happen whatever the outcome is so thank you for sharing that Kevin and then I do want to talk about AA we actually to just to share with you and our listeners a little bit because our podcast is not exclusively about uh, one program or one method. We actually always want to provide different solutions because not everything works for everybody. And there's a lot of us with different personalities and, and different paths. So I want to ask you, since you are committed to AA, what is your favorite thing about the program? What really keeps you like, yes, this is a place for me to be. Tell me about what you love about AA. What I like about AA is the communication with other people in recovery. There's a common thread that runs through everyone, no matter what their background is. Um, there's a connection and we all speak the same language. When I talk to other people who are not in recovery, they just really don't get it. They might want to empathize, but they don't realize the mindset or even the physical aspects of the disease. So in AA, when I go to my meetings, I learn a lot more before the meeting and after the meeting when we're out in the parking lot. You know, of course, the, the meetings are great, uh, but um, it's the connection with the people you know, that, that really gets me well and makes me want to go back every day. That, I, do want, I do a meeting every day and sometimes two. But, you know, there is kind of some things there's a bit of a love-hate relationship there. There's some things that I would, you know, prefer to drop, but um, for the most part, uh, I'll I'll keep it in my uh, repertoire there. I mean, I I really need it actually. AA AA is one of the biggest communities in the world. You know, yeah. it is so powerful and. I love that little piece that you shared at the end where you said there are a few things that maybe like I would change or they're not my favorite. And we really try to encourage people to always 
focus on the similarities and there's always going to be differences. And I feel like this applies for not just AA or methods in recovery, but but everything. You know, we're not always we don't always have uh, the honor of being in a room where we agree with every dynamic or we agree with every opinion or we agree with everything. So I think it's a great practice for all of us to to just be able to sit with other opinions, other perspectives, other dynamics. And it's humbling, in my opinion. So I'm really glad you have that tool in your pocket. And then other than podcasts, is there any other resource that has been helping you out through all of this journey? Yeah, the the podcasts. um, I listen to uh, Recovery Elevator. I listen to Sober Nation, um, the Sober Therapist I listen to. Um, I read a lot. I have a lot of books that I've, I've gone through and that I'm going through right now. So reading helps me out at night when everything's nice and quiet. And like I said, during the day, I listen to the podcasts. I go to my meetings. So I have something going on day and night. It keeps me in the loop. That's perfect. Tell me what your favorite non-alcoholic drink is. Oh, um, I like iced coffee, but instead of water ice cubes, I take coffee and I freeze them in the ice cube tray so it doesn't water it down. And I put a little cinnamon in there too. It's really good. Uh, that's a good hack. My iced coffee does tend to water down and I'm in San Diego and it's starting to get hot down here. And that yeah. means all of my coffee orders are iced coffee. Yeah, I can't deal with watered down coffee at all, man. And then do you have a sweet tooth or did you notice developing any like increase in your sugar intake when you stop um, drinking? This is a, a question that I want to start digging into because a lot of people do share that I guess sugar is just another way for our brains to kind of get that similar relief. So did you share, did you experience something like that at all? Yeah, I never had a sweet tooth at all, but I noticed when I stopped drinking, I eat oatmeal a lot, especially in the morning because it's easy to take to go to work. But at night, maybe I'll have some too. I have been pouring honey on that like crazy and I'm going through, you know, all kinds of uh, jars of honey like I never have before. It's weird. I'm trying to actually scale it down. That's the only thing that I really go for that's sweet. I'm not um, a real sweet person. I, When I make a smoothie, I put a banana and mango in there, and I'll put a habanero pepper in there just for some heat. Oh, I like that. Good. I, yes. Really. I also like adding, I like taking a ginger shot in the morning and I add yeah. uh, a little bit of cayenne pepper. And like you're saying, that little heat is always good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, tell me, Kevin, what your go-to response when somebody offers you a drink is. What do you tell people when they say, hey, Kevin, do you want to get a drink? Um, right now I'm telling everyone that I'm an alcoholic and I'm sober. I'm living it out loud now you know so um i don't have any reservations about telling anyone my problem or you know if, if someone wants to speak to me about it i will you know sit down and have a dis- discussion with them what is if you would say there's like a a general response do you normally get any pushback or like most of us have you noticed that people are like oh good for you <laughs> um well if i was Back home where my old crowd was, I think I would get pushback. But 
down here, I don't. Um, people just take me for what I say. Um, if I say, you know, I'm not drinking, they go along with that. A lot of people say, hey, you know what? I think I'm going to back off a little bit, too. Um, I went to a wedding reception, and I was drinking a cranberry pineapple with a splash of seltzer and wedge of lime. And everyone asked me what I was drinking because they thought it was an alcoholic drink. And I told them what it was, and it was non-alcoholic, and they tried it. So I had a lot of people going up and getting that. So I like to think I save people from jumping up on tables and making a fool of themselves. Yes. The the thing yeah. about that is then if you're the only sober one, that you're the only one that remembers. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, that's great. I love that you get uh, creative with with options, especially when there's a bartender and when there are other ingredients. It's always good to change it up. I, I was just sharing with our communities during the 4th of July weekend that I drink a lot of sparkling water now as my day-to-day routine. So when there's a special event or a wedding or something, I like to change it up so that it also feels different than what I'm normally just drinking every day, which is all the sparkling water. (laughs) Yeah, I drink seltzer with lime all the time and I need to change once in a while, you know. Tell me, Kevin, what are you excited about right now? How do you feel, what is three months in, and how do you feel about possibilities in this new chapter? I'm excited about the future. I wake up every day, I feel great, starting to get ideas about what I want to do in the future. Somehow I want to get involved in helping people in recovery, either volunteering or maybe in the future some kind of job or activity doing that because I have made some really strong connections with people in uh, the recovery community around here and it just it reinforces everything that I'm learning to stay sober. Uh, Do you think in the future you will be open to sponsoring someone in AA? I would need more time in AA. I, I guess I would. I would have to get to that point though. I don't know if I would be comfortable doing it. I don't know. It's That's a really good question. Hopefully I planted I, a seed. <laughs> True. That's great. And I do think that service work is a great thing that comes out of recovery. I I feel like getting out of ourselves and, and sharing our story addresses stigma and addresses shame and it's really neat to see people wanting to do more in this field. We certainly need it. So I hope you I hope you do just keep sharing. And I love that you're just being very vocal about it and very direct and just really owning it, like you said. So that's great. Has your sleep improved, Kevin? I would say so. I'm, was, I wasn't always a great sleeper. I get up in the middle of the night and just uh, I either want something to drink like a glass of water or I'll just get up and watch a little bit of TV or something like that. I, even when I was a kid, I could never sleep all the way through the night. I am well rested though. When I get up, I'm, I'm ready to go. I feel energetic and I don't have any aches or pains like I used to. I, Cause I get up right now at four o'clock in the morning to go to work and I'm ready to go. You know, I, I'm not sluggish or anything like that. So that's a plus. That's a total plus. You did mention earlier that you have a great routine going now. When you 
went back to AA and you started this new chapter, did you have to move around a lot of your like daily habits? Did you have to restructure your day differently? Well, because of the pandemic, we weren't working. So I was going to noon meetings and when I could, I would go to the six o'clock meetings. What I was doing in the beginning was I was working two days a week and then they would have us on call. So I was free to go to meetings and I had that luxury, I guess you would say. Now I'm back doing five days a week. So I'm going to six o'clock meetings and on the weekends I go to the noon meetings and sometimes I go to six o'clock also. So I'm making a routine based on working five days a week now. Yeah, and the pandemic certainly has also showed all of us to also stay flexible, right? Because we've all had to do a lot of changes in our routine. And for me, at least, I'm a creature of habit. And just having yeah. having all of this happen has taught me that I that maybe I have to also learn to go with the flow because I don't always get the structure that I feel like I need. But it's nice to always have those things that you know will ground you. I'm really glad you're going to meetings. Did you have to do virtual meetings at some point? No. The room that I go to has been open from the beginning. They never closed, which was great because if they were closed when I went back to AA, I don't know where I'd be right now. I don't know if I would be able to do a virtual meeting because when I first got straight, I went actually online and tried to do it online and it didn't work at all for me. So these Zoom meetings, they're great, but I don't think I don't think I would have made it. In-person connection is so important. And I do think that with the pandemic going on, um, this is hard. We are social beings and I do think there will be a ripple effect and more people struggling with mental health it, it it's already happening so i'm i'm really hopeful for the future and hope that with enough safety guidelines we can be able to see more people at a given time because i do think it makes an impact and even though we've learned to be creative with technology i do think a lot of people like you said really need um, face-to-face connection especially if they're going through a hurdle or an obstacle so i'm glad you had that when you needed it yeah, it's definitely the human connection because there's people coming into my meetings now who relapsed because they tried to do it online or they just thought that all the rooms were closed. And now they're coming back in with these stories that, you know, they're all upset. They've lost the sobriety. They thought they lost the sobriety that they had worked for for so many years. I don't think that you lose that. I think that you have that still in your head. It's still in your toolbox. You know, you still have that repertoire that you can fall back on and get back on the path. And that's a lot of people are coming in. A lot of people relapsed over this. Yes, a lot of people. But like you said, I also agree with you. There is no, it's no, I did it for nothing. There's no wasted time or it's never a failure. I I know that that self-awareness and maybe things that we can't measure with days are still there, right? So I'm glad that you're also seeing people come back. That's hopeful. Have you been able through all of this time, uh, been able to identify triggers that you have or do you have any triggers? I drank for so long that 
I don't know if I have any triggers because I never, I never drank because I was sad or because I was happy. I just drank because I drank. Um, it was part of my life. So there's nothing really that will set me off. I, I really can't think of one thing that would, that would make me go, okay, because this happened, I need a drink, mm -hmm. which is pretty dangerous for me because I need to drink all the time. You know, it's not it's not an event or a emotion that will do it. It's just it was my day to day routine. I did it and I did it like I drank hard. So I just. Have yeah, a life. it was your baseline. So now yeah. you have to create a new baseline that that totally makes sense. And and I. I'm just really encouraged by the fact that you are willing to say like, no, I want a new identity because it sounds like you were deeply attached to it from a point of, like you said, I was always drinking. So that makes me excited for you, Kevin. Yeah, I was, it, it's like waking up from a long sleep. I'm noticing now that uh, I never really actually matured like an adult. I'm now I'm trying to learn that really fast i'm actually introducing myself to myself now you're coming back to to kevin so yeah, yeah this is great we have reached the rapid fire round kevin so oh. if you can answer these questions in 30 <laughs> seconds or less that would be fabuloso are you ready i'm ready all right what is a light bulb moment that you've had during this journey that would be realizing that i could wake up face the day without having to rely on alcohol. I, I like to go through a normal day now without the pressure of, you know, where am I going to get a drink? How am I going to get it? You know, um, you know, where am I going to drink it? Anything like that. It was just exhausting doing that. And now I have consistency during my day. What would you say to your younger self, Kevin? What would you say to the elementary school Kevin when you started drinking wow um if I could uh find that kid I would just tell him to love and value yourself and that you matter you know you have something to offer because I didn't feel that back then I love that what is your favorite flavor of ice cream coffee with um chocolate covered espresso beans on top You're a coffee lover and coffee connoisseur. I love it. I am. <laughs> What parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners who are thinking about ditching the booze? I would say it's important to stay focused. Keep your sobriety in front of you. Whatever you put in front of your sobriety, you're going to lose. And try to stay focused on your interests. You know, stay, keep your mind active. That's really what I do every day. I, I, I realize that it's probably different for everybody. They have their own different things. And also, um, stress is a killer, man. You know, so that's what made me relapse. And if you can identify any of your stressors and try to alleviate them, that would help a lot um, in your day-to-day -day life and trying to stay sober. Whatever you put in front of your sobriety, you are going to lose, you said. Yeah. That is a, that is a mic drop. 
line right there, Kevin. So thank you for sharing that. And before we depart, can you give listeners your own? You may have to say adios to booze if line. Oh, yeah. Um, you would have to say adios to booze if you come back to your table from an open bar at a reception holding four beers and two shots, and then you ask anyone else if they want something to drink. I've done that. That is a sign of adios, booze. You probably need to leave the room, booze. <laughs> yeah. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. I hope you're feeling a little lighter and not as nervous. And I'm just really grateful for your bravery today. This interview is going to be so helpful to our listeners. So thank you. I appreciate you. And thanks again. Oh, thank you. Very well, Timari. That's a wrap for our interview today. And before I say adios, wait for it, this week's challenge. In the next following days, try to build a practice around your negative self-talk. Every time you catch yourself being fed the message of do better, try swapping it out for a kinder message instead. Try saying maybe, hey, you're doing amazing. You can always try again. Or maybe say, do the next right thing. You got this. Maybe say, I believe in you. Give yourself the love that you need. Set the bar for yourself. My wish is that you slowly start phasing out negative self-talk. You need to have your back. You deserve to have your back. Remember that you're not alone and together is always better. Recovery Elevator, be the light and shine bright. You have the power to make a difference. I love you guys. <laughs> <laughs>